you right, wee boy, what you doing? I'm gonna stick the crosses in the box and you better get your fucking head on that. <laughs> when Arsenal knocks on the door of players, it's a different knock than other clubs. Maybe we'll have a good surprise for you. That's the Welcome back to the Fucking Hell My Blood Pressure podcast. A lighter look at Arsenal with Alexander Moneypenny and my very good friend, Bradley Adams. Hello, mate. How are you? It's one of those days. Yeah, mate. Jesus Christ, that was stressful. Oh, my God. I just played Mario Kart for like an hour and like all the Great game for the neutrals. And the, what, Mario Kart? All the cool, yeah. the colours on all the like shapes of Mario Kart just calmed me down. Uh, yeah, how are you feeling? I, I've returned back to normal, to like base level now. Um, unbelievable lows and incredible highs, all within the space of ninety minutes. You know, I think there's That's a lot. That's the beautiful to, game, baby. That's the beautiful game. Like, th- there's a hell of a lot to pray. Like, no matter what we say about kind of moving forward when we talk about the game, I think there's a there's a lot to praise about the mentality of certain individuals who did not give up and ended up, you know, putting us in a situation where we should have won. Do you know what? This is one of those games where, let's say that's an Unai Emery performance because, you know, it happens. Teams have off days. Arsenal have a lot of them, but teams have off days and teams mm-hmm. have come back from midweek performances, big, you know, and also a defeat in midweek, uh, which mentally can be quite difficult to get over, um, especially when you feel like you're the better side. Um, and that can happen to teams. It can mm-hmm. happen. But what I think we haven't seen before is the fight back. That was the most impressive part for me. And as much as that was stressful and that was... Um, uh, we probably should have got seven or eight goals, mate. I, I don't know what our XG was, but you know, to me, on just on the eye test, I think our XG is actually quite low. Um, or just on the eye test, we should have got six, seven, eight goals, mate. But that is not an Arsenal performance that I am um, used to in it's many not, different ways. Yeah, it's it's really not synonymous with Arsenal at all. I think it's no. really important to remember, kind of. Uh, Emery era and then the end of the Wenger era where two, three, three nil down heads dropped games over. XG wise West Ham had 2.18 to our 1.7 but I think that like you say that's a really really kind of critical moment to uh, to highlight within the last kind of 12 to 18 months since Arteta has been in charge this, this power shift and this um dynamic shift because I remember Wenger's thousandth game where we got battered 6-0 by Chelsea and at 2-0 you knew it was going to be 6-0 at 2-0 you knew that we were going to get absolutely torn to pieces and there was no way back into this game and whilst at 3-0 in this game I was like what in the fuck is going on it felt like a game where it was 3-0 because of individual moments rather than an overall mentality. And whilst we need to weed and individuals out... individuals that we know... ...are capable of those. And, and whilst we need to weed out those like individual moments, like it's not good enough that Bernd Leno has 
conceded the second goal at his near post. It's not good enough that every single Arsenal player switches off for that second goal. It's not good enough that Granite Xhaka and Thomas Partey for the first goal drop into their own pretty much six-yard box with no awareness of the players, of the West Ham players on the outside of the box. Like, it is not good enough that these things are happening. But there is a big, big shift when it comes to mentality and acceptable levels where you knew at half time, and I think this is one thing that Wenger wasn't particularly good at because he just seemed like such a nice guy. I knew when the second goal in went in, let alone the third goal, that Mikel Arteta at half time was going to rip the heads off of some people. It was going to be an absolute bloodbath and we'd see a change in the second half. And I think that that's a really important thing to highlight about kind of Mikel Arteta's tenure, tenure. And moving forward, like that is such a positive because the Arsenal of two years ago would be nowhere near coming back from 3-0 down. And that is a big, big, Absolutely. big positive. So true. So true, mate. And, and, and I think that's that's a really good place to start off the discussion because, yeah, it's not the same old Arsenal. You know, I think I think in previous times we've seen... Um, what's, the, what's the phrase? It's like a, it's like a, sh- a sinking ship and you can't bail out the water quick enough and bef- and if you fix one leak another leak will spring or you know it's that sort of thing we felt like that for a long time where we've been kind of you know as you say we've been we've been in these situations and we've been you know having to 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 fix problems but then another one will come up immediately what it feels like now and i think something that you just came came out with and and uh, kind of illustrates this point is in those situations it was uh, so for me, it was David Luiz backing off for the first goal. David Luiz got beaten in the air for the Mikel Antonio goal. Um, it was Granit Xhaka not being aware of his of his player. Probably Granit Xhaka should have been switched on for that, as well as as well as other players. And it's not absolving everyone else of responsibility because there's other responsibilities to be taken. But if mm. we look through the whole of the season and look through the whole of all these mistakes, the same names, names are cropping up. Yeah, the it's same the same names, names. coming up. It's... And now this is the thing. Yeah. We have this is the thing. We have the same leak now. We know what the leak is. We know where it is. We know how to fix it. And that's the crucial part. Yeah. The problem before is has been we've had so many leaks. We don't know where to start, and the room's filling up with water. We have someone now who's got us in a boat, and he's going right. Yeah. <laughs> Which one of you is causing the problems? And the big switch, mate, and the the biggest thing for me is there's there's new leaders appearing in this team. 100%. There is new leaders. There is and I hope we can keep him Martin Odegaard. There is Kieran Tierney. There is um Bukayo Saka. There is Emil Smith Rowe. These players through their performances and also their on pitch um and and Thomas Partey, but I know he's kind of a, an older professional. Through their performances and through their and Callum Chambers today. Um, oh, sensational. Amazing. Man of the match performance prime Cafu. But the <laughs> Point being that these are new leaders appearing, and I think you're so right to say this is not an Arsenal that we've seen before. Mm-hmm. And as much as it feels like a bit of a same old Arsenal, you know, we've come out and not had a great day. The response to that great bad day is so different, and that's so much better. We we mm. do we do need to be clear that first half was unacceptable. First half hour was unacceptable, completely. But there are certain mitigating star- uh, circumstances, and again, the crucial thing is Arteta's not come out after and gone in a Wenger or or Emery style and gone. Well, you know, this, that and the other, he's gone, it's unacceptable and we need to fix it. And that's mm-hmm. the difference. And I I tweeted this out very much in anger at a few moments of the game 
But I think that this... Brad, you tweeting in anger just seems out of character. It happens all the time, my friend. (laughs) Every game, every game, my partner goes on Twitter. She's like, Brad's so angry. (laughs) Oh, bless. (laughs) I genuinely think Aubameyang needs to be stripped of the captaincy now. I just... He's he's gone missing since the Benfica 3-2, where he scores the away goal in the that back post header in the last, uh, what, 10 minutes or whatever. And he's just not, he's not been putting in acceptable levels of performance and he's not been putting in acceptable levels of leadership. And for me, that it's almost a pattern that he hasn't been putting in acceptable levels of leadership, no matter his performances, for a while now. And you need, and we 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 came onto this conversation last week in the, or kind of maybe in the last few episodes where we, I I, I said that I don't think your captain needs to be your best player. I actually think that that's a detriment to your team, because just because you're good at football does not mean you're a leader. And I just people lead in different you, ways as well. It, yeah, one one hundred percent people lead in different ways, but I do not see Aubameyang leading that team at all. I haven't. I, there, there's been barely any moments of leadership. He hides away from press conferences, whether that's a club decision or personal decision, we'll never know. But it says a lot that players like Bakayo Saka, Emil Smith Rowe, uh, Kieran Tierney are the ones rolled out for pressers instead of our 31 year old captain of our football club. That mm. is that is and captain issue of his country kind of, as well. That is issue number one for me. And then I'm watching moments in the game where we're 3-0 down, 3-1 down, or or even just 1-0 down, 2-0 down. And he's ambling back. He's not pressing. He's not chasing his man. And there are moments where uh, Tierney on that side is dealing with someone. And I can't remember who it was. And then the guy just gets to turn around and pass it inwards because Aubameyang hasn't cut off the passing lane. And this is a big issue. The laziness that has been shown by him for the last couple of games is unacceptable. And like you say, there are new leaders coming out and there is a new, um, almost like social hierarchy or like construct developing within that dressing room. And I think it is time to move to that and to give, even though he's 23, to give Kieran Tierney the captaincy or to give somebody else the captaincy. Because I, honestly, I can tell you two or three moments where Kieran Tierney has led this team. I can't tell you one moment since he signed in 2018 where Aubameyang has led this team. I'm not talking about his performances or leading the line or how good he is at scoring. I mean, when the going gets tough, he has led this team to a result. Against Benfica, the driving force into us getting back into the game is Kieran Tierney creating a goal out of nothing. You know, and then that gets us back in and we get flowing. The North London derby, Kieran Tierney shouting, how many fucking chances do we need, lads? We need to score. Mm. And screaming at the end of the game, he was, there was a throw in. He was telling Martin Erdegaard where to go. Listen, people lead in different ways and that's fine. And, And as you say, that's, you know, that's, that's acceptable. But if your way of leading is through performances and goals, great. When they dry up, where are you? That's the problem. Yeah. So if you if that's your way of leading, cool. But when you're not doing that, that's not we're we're, we're bereft. And that's why I think there's been almost like a, a a chasm. If you imagine the team, say two years ago, 
who are the leaders? We're looking at probably Lacazette, Aubameyang, Xhaka, and maybe Bellerin, sort of, sort of, sort of there. That leadership group has shifted. If you think about when Unai Emery, who who are the names being discussed around around the captaincy? That leadership group has gone. Yeah, Rob Holding's names. coming. Rob Holding's coming in as well, and Meza Özil was there as well. Mm. That leadership group has shifted, and I think it's a uh, making way for a new culture and a young younger culture, um, more tactically adept, more um, more astute, more what more outwardly passionate, whether they are or they aren't. But that's that's inspiring when you're when you're down you look at Declan Rice today in the I think it was like the 83rd minute or something he just went do you know what fuck it I've had enough and I know that's very passion spelt p-a-s-h-u-n kind of analysis but it is important sometimes to visibly see your captain going do you know what I've had a fuck enough of this let's try and get forward and because we've, yeah, we've been pushed back to, for too long let's get forward and seeing that just I think if I'm on the pitch and I'm seeing someone holding themselves to a higher standard, it does help. And it, it gives, you know, optics are, are important in football. And, mm-hmm. and and as much as, you know, I kind of, I'm always for going, but that's not the way Aubameyang leads. And, you know, okay, he doesn't come out in press conferences. And I'm always for him going because he leads that way. And that's cool. But the problem is he's not leading that way anymore. He's not, he's not finishing those chances on that, as much. On that. I don't think that's leading a team. I don't think that's the quality you need within a captain. As in with somebody who marshals the other players in the team. I think you need somebody who... And I think it's a reason why you tend to see a lot more uh, defenders and um, uh, and like central midfielders be captains of clubs. And it's because of the, the, the fact that a lot of their play isn't determined on whether they put chances away or not. Yeah. If that kind of makes sense. And they can see the game in front of them. And I just think that Kieran Tierney is so reliable at what he does. And whether you think he's the best left back in the league or whatever, he's not the kind of person that fucks up or makes mistakes often or you, you, you rarely find him almost like not caring. Yeah. Whereas I find Aubameyang not caring and whether it's yeah. because he's upset because he's missing chances or because of this or because of that, that's just not a good quality to have no. in a captain because when the captain's head drops, everyone's head drops. Well, it's and certainly not a good you, look. Yeah. And you're, you're See, now needing people like Tierney and like Erdegaard and Smith Rowe and, you know, Chambers today I thought was brilliant and Saka as well demanding more from the players around them. And this is no kind of... While I also think that Aubameyang should be dropped because of his form and how he's been a bit lazy in the last few games, the reason that I want him stripped of the captaincy isn't because of that. It's purely because I don't think he is captain material. No matter ability, no matter anything, I just don't think he is the kind of player that would have an effect on others in games going forward. Put, put it this way, he doesn't suit what the new what what this new um culture is is requiring. Mm-hmm. Just um, just finish up on the leadership thing because you know obviously we've we've chatted about it a little bit. Is it a little bit unfair on Cedric Suarez? We're not chatting about him as a sort of, you know, captain. <laughs> Sorry. I genuinely tried to like <laughs> Do you know what? process Cedric- that. <laughs> and and like and, and and I was going like, wait, what? what? Wait, oh. <laughs> I'd love to have just done that and see. I should have just seen your reaction. Just just see how you yeah. get out of that. 
obviously when we podcast, we we don't tell each other what we're going to say. So uh, Brad would have had to probably quite politely just tear me down there. Um, yeah, no, not for me. <laughs> that said, though, and I don't want to reopen the conversation, but I do think it's interesting that this perception of Aubameyang is is coming. But he's got the second most goal involvements for us. Lacazette with 16 and Pepe with 12 and Aubameyang with 15. So it's interesting. Um, okay, uh, let's get into the game then. Uh, I just want to start with this little stat. Arsenal's last nine league games, we've had three wins, three draws and three losses. So at least we're consistent. Do you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> just, you know, it just kind of sums it all up. Um, so I think only real things from the kind of team selection to, to discuss... Uh, Bellerin not selected and not even in the squad. There was a, a whisper that he was injured, um, but regardless, he's not played in the last four league games. Where are we with Bellerin? I'm I'm happy that this has happened, but I'm slightly concerned from a business perspective. But I mean, that's such a fan thing to say. Like, you know, just because he doesn't play a few Look, games at the end of the season, he's, he, you know, whatever. When uh, playing him every game till the end of the season isn't going to up his value, and I don't think yeah. I think people know what Bellerin is. I don't think it's going to decrease yeah. his value to not really play him as much as it's going to. It. I just with results so up in the air with a lot of a lot of teams at the moment, um, especially in the top half of the table. The league is not over in the sense that we could still climb to kind of seventh, eighth, maybe mm. even sixth. If if we manage to cut these fucking stupid moments out and just find some level of consistency. One thing to remember as well is I think West Ham are currently fifth and they're having a stormer of a season. They are they are doing so, so, so well. And you know fourth. some of the uh, fourth. And Suchek would start over Xhaka. No, fifth. Sorry, yeah, you're right. You know, Suchek would would probably for me start over Xhaka. Um like there are certain players in their in their team that currently you're just going Declan Rice would start for us. Um probably Issa Diop would start for us over David Louise. Ben Rama might. Because I think one one of the big problems with the with Louise is that um all all he is at the moment is this he, all he's doing is trying to attempt flashy passes and they're just not working. That's just that's all his game is and He's no longer good enough at that to have it be effective. And whether, like, whether we signed the the fact that we've also we signed him down for another year for this season, when we could have gone out and just bought another right sided centre back, or we could have integrated Saliba, or you know. There are just so many decisions around him and around that I'm just that just baffle me. Like, yeah, I think he's a, he's another kind of conversation in terms of a leader that that we probably don't have time for right now. But the David Luiz thing, I think we discussed on the last podcast a little bit. I'm not a fan, um, and we will get onto him kind of more in terms of the game. Um, the only um, other thing really from the lineup, obviously Ch- Chambers playing. I think obviously kind of for height, um, and he played like a, as I said, like prime Cafu, uh, had a fantastic game, uh, was Aubameyang on the right and Saka on the left. Now, I have a theory on this, and I think what it was, and I think, so Lacazette said in his post-match that we um, we didn't follow the coach's instructions or something. I think what it was, was they wanted 
Saka on the left as a lefty and Aubameyang on the right as a righty so we don't get done on the outside and Cresswell and um, Soufal can't come in and, and, and whip those crosses in and, and get the, the outswingers in. They have to do inswingers because we're a little bit dodgy on the outswingers. Um, that didn't happen, I think partly because Aubameyang didn't track back as much as he could and partly because we were just all over the place, sixes and sevens, and we had a, a mm. few mistakes. But basically, I think that didn't work, and then that had to, we sort of had to rely on putting some control back in the midfield and and progressing the ball in our sort of more normal way. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I just thought a banging on the right didn't work, and that's that's my that's my summation for why I think it didn't work. Um, partly because also. If if Abami gets a chance, you don't want him on that side, but that's that didn't really yeah. happen because they were absolutely all over us. I mean, that first half hour mm-hmm. was tragic. Oh no, we tragic. got absolutely and dicked. I want to just be clear because sometimes you can just go, "Well, that was shit," and that's it. But I thought we started out, and it was an interest. It was a certainly interesting setup in terms of party was kind of covering that right hand side. I think we were really worried about Cresswell. Because Party was really sitting out on that right-hand uh, touchline. I think it just lost us the control in the middle. Um, we kind of... There were some weird moments where... I mean, I mean, well, listen. We were passing backwards and being quite negative and allowing them to come on to us. Granite Xhaka had an absolute stinker that first half hour. And to be honest, he didn't get much better. And I think that's why he got taken off. No. He had an absolute 100%. stinker so today. He was misplacing balls I mean I'd love, I'd love to have the stats but I don't have them watch the game mate he was misplacing balls left right and centre he can't play that switch over to the right hand side he can't do it he doesn't have the switch ball that Party has over to Tierney or Party has over to Aubameyang whoever's on the left um, he doesn't have that switch ball he, he he only really has that out ball to Tierney and Pablo Mari was firing in left footed pingers into him in the midfield and he was just hitting him straight back because he can't play on the half turn and when you're playing a team like West Ham, who are excellent on the flanks and will just crowd you out in the midfield, he's got no space. So what can he do? He was just limited all game. And when you're having such a poor game, because you can be useful in that position, you can recycle the possession and keep the ball and just you know keep it ticking, fine. Not have a particularly flashy game. But he was giving it away and giving it away. And that's partly what led to the goal. But I also want to highlight David Luiz um, for that first goal, just switched off and Mikhail Antonio he was backing off backing off backing off backing off backing off and then again Jack is a little bit switched off switched off as you said uh but it's a great finish from Lingard but yeah like just you know as we sort of said in the intro just the same people making the same mistakes and it's the same leak which is a nicer problem to have but fucking hell which is why again you know we had the conversation about do we think that we could keep Granite Xhaka to be like a third or fourth choice in the midfield and while I think yes I also think that it's a it's a mentality issue. It's a huge risk. And I would he rather... He play. He's like a diesel engine, mate. Yeah, I'd rather get him out in the summer and sign two central midfielders than keep him if we can, purely because it is, it is that mentality risk. It's why I don't want David Luiz to get another contract because constantly during this game, and I, if you watch for this, you'll see it, when David Luiz is put under pressure and he knows he's going to lose the ball, he passes it to somebody else who is also in danger. Pablo Mari. He so did he's it. not a at moment, fault. Mate, you're so constantly, right. Constantly. Absolutely fucking correct. Constantly. He carries he the ball. He knows that he's yeah. fucked. So he fucks someone else over so he can have the excuse to go, what are you doing? Yeah. And it's, mate, it's so shir- right. all he all he does is shirk responsibility so in this team. Right. Is- After the um, Suchek 
beats him for that header and he turns around and shouts at other people. There is, n- and whereas other players I've seen making mistakes, Cedric in the Villa game where they beat us 1-0, where it's his mistake and the mix up between him and Gabriel, like literally holds his hands up and is like, that is my fucking bad. Like, and it's, that. this is what, this is a Granite Xhaka issue as well. Granite Xhaka does not take responsibility for his mistakes. That's why he never learns from them. It's always a, oh, I do my talking on the pitch or this is football. No, no, no granite. Kicking the ball into an opponent and having them just score off their hip. That's not, that's, that's not a part of normal football. That's like brain dead shit. And you, you watch Louise do this all the time. He knows he can't get one of his passes off. He knows he's been crowded out. So he gives it to somebody else. So he doesn't have to be the one that loses the ball. It's it's just embarrassing. There's a there's a really there's a really clear point. Um, yeah, and I th- I I just want to kind of we were poor, we were really poor in that first half. Oh yeah, and you know, again, I think there was and that I, there was a moment that perfectly illustrates what you just said. Um, just before, just after their second goal, where they nearly scored a third, where David Luiz has it. Um, I think Lingard's coming in on him, and he just plays it into Pablo Mari, who's got like three players around him. It's obviously the wrong pass, but he plays it because he again he he he's worried and he he has he's panicking, and it's just yeah it's 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 so poor. I mean, on the first goal, to be honest, I was a bit like, well, that's just a good finish. Like, oh, unbelievable! I I, I, I understand. Like in terms of the build up, it's annoying, but actually, it was quite a good finish, and so they deserved it for for the way they came out. Oh, and I don't know whether 100%. it was a, a European thing, or, you know, with with. We've had a lot of these early fixtures. You know, I look I look back on the Aston Villa game um, as the kind of the the main one of those. But you know, fixtures where we're kind of just have sloppy starts and just don't feel like we've don't feel like we've got our bed. Fatigue, really. fatigue, and injury is a big issue at the moment. It's a big issue across the board at the moment. You know, we've had no break between seasons, no pre-seasons. We've gone hell for leather into a second season as a club with European football competing on four different fronts. And we've had injuries to key players that have meant certain players have had to play constantly. So it is no surprise that fatigue is an issue in in this current kind of ecosphere of football. I'd put it more on fatigue. For us personally, I'd put it more on fatigue. Um, You know, Bukayo Saka has played 39 games at 19 years old this season. That is mental. At 19, you know, and, and so fair play if he's not completely at the races at, you know, three o'clock on a Sunday, having, you know, played on a, on a Thursday night. Like it just, what can you do? So, yeah. Um, and I think sort of maybe fatigue comes into the second goal as well. Hmm. We switched off. I think my initial reaction, as I imagine most Arsenal fans was, was what the fuck is that? And sort of went like, how is that fair? But, and I went, you know, <laughs> you know, there's moments when you're... S- immediately proved wrong you're like the ball hadn't stopped moving the ball hadn't stopped moving and then they showed the replay the ball had stopped moving I was like oh fuck um, but the the only issue I have with that is the ref is going to yeah he's but, gone down to do the thing for the line so it's this weird look it's one of those things that sometimes it will go for you sometimes it will go against you yeah. The that goal shouldn't happen anyway it's Leno's near post and it's he, fucking it's one of no, the worst yeah. pieces of goalkeeping you'll 
you'll see it at a professional level. It just squeaks under him at the near post. Yeah. It's it's genuinely abominable. I mean, is it I, John Moss? Uh, he, he let he let us uh, he let us off with the advantage later on, which David Moyes was fuming about, and I found quite funny. But that was definitely yeah. definitely should have played advantage. Um, so you know, so it swings and roundabouts on these things. Ultimately, it was within the laws of the game. It was just stupid from us that we switched off. They're all turned around looking mm-hmm. at the ref. And again, maybe it's a fatigue thing, but um, who knows? Um, then there was the other goal, um, three, you know, three in that sort of first half hour. Again, David Luiz was beaten by Mikel Antonio. Suchet was just free. Pablo Marie was was nowhere to be seen. And at that point, I was thinking, fucking hell. But there's something changed there. And I don't know what it was. And I'm try- still trying to work out what it was. My feeling is it's just party well firstly Aubameyang had, had, had switched sides so party wasn't having to co- cover the right so much and party just managed to evade the press a bit more and was able to just bring us further up the pitch and start playing those break, breaking the lines balls and from there I, I don't have the, the, the data on it and I wish I did I was trying to find it but I couldn't find it I felt like party woke up and like ripped the game off West Ham. And I I cannot tell you. I think Party will go massively under the radar because Erdegaard is a bit more flashy. But constantly, I think even on Sky Sports, there was a moment where they said, oh, Erdegaard's having such a great game. Because, or no, it was, oh, Lacazette's coming deep and getting getting the balls. He's doing so well. What was happening constantly was Party was getting the ball off the um, off our centre-backs or off them. There's a stat that's uh, Party regained possession 14 times against West Ham, which is a game high. Um and just playing the ball through the lines, playing the ball through Unreal. the lines, getting us forward, getting us forward. And that for me, that's what shifted. I mean, also, it's just a wake-up call and, you know, we're three down. I'm sure they're thinking, fuck, Artes is going to shout at us. But for me, that was what shifted. And it got us the goal uh, at the end of that first half. Um, I think Lacazette's shot was going I think it's wide. also a mentality shift from West Ham. Yeah. West Ham are then 3-0 up. So like most teams would, they would take their foot off the gas and just try and be a bit more conservative. So we were we were allowed to build into the game because of that. Yeah, hundred percent. I didn't even celebrate that goal. Like is it? Well, own goal scored. Own goal had a great game today. Two great finishes. Fantastic. The Chambers own goal link up was unreal. It's, it's, it's like Ryan Ooh. Fraser and Callum Wilson, eighteen nineteen. Gorgeous. Gorgeous stuff. Um, the that was such a nice reference. I'm from Bournemouth, so if they... <laughs> um, yeah, I literally didn't even celebrate, and I felt as though it was a a bit of not luck, but it felt a little bit like for all the chances we'd because we did have a few de- you know chances here and there. It felt like you know we we kind of made them pay a little bit, but yeah, I just I f- as much as I believe in this kind of new mentality that we have and I believe in everything that I said in that intro and I probably would have said before the game that something's shifting um this was an example of it and and I have to say I've been proved wrong today like I at three nil down I was moody pissed off I was thinking you know not fuck Arteta and you know because that's just too reactionary but I was thinking why why do we do this to ourselves why can't we just concentrate and not make these same mistakes over and over and over again but as we said, it was a fantastic response. And mentally, to come back from 3-0 down, the start is always the hardest bit because you've got to turn that momentum around. Because once the momentum's with us, once we get that first goal, once party breaks a couple of lines, we're getting forward, we're getting the, the pressure off our defence, 
we're looking so much stronger when we're, when we're purring and and Erd- it's fear as well. Yeah, and Erdegaard's getting the spaces. But no, yeah, once that starts to happen, West Ham players start to fear what is coming. Sorry, I'm absolutely baking. I'm just going to take this off. I don't strip off again, Brad. Ooh. Stripping off. As Long time listeners to the Different Knock will remember an episode where Bradley literally oh. got naked in front of me on on literally, on FaceTime. Literally. On on FaceTime. Um yeah, no, I think it just started to Video version available on our Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> they just started to feel what what was coming, what was happening, just like anyone would, in that once you start to it is that idea of momentum. And I think once West Ham felt like the momentum had shifted into our favour, there would have been a lot of kind of nervy players in their camp. And we got the first goal at the right time. Getting one before half time was imperative yeah. so that we came out in the second half energised and they came out in the second half. Not energised. Being the last team to concede. Yeah. Yeah. If that makes sense. Like being the last team to concede a goal. And that's a big thing, like mentally. And I kept hearing the commentators um, say this. And I, I, I hate all these like adages that like, I don't know what you called them like last episode. But they were saying whoever scored, like the next goal is vital. Whoever scores the next goal yeah. is going to win the game or go on or whatever. But that was so true in that when we came out in the second half, it gave us a platform that if we scored that second goal, we then felt like the dominant force within the game. Mate, it's a cliche because it's true. And it's a Jamie Redknapp because it's a prick. Do you know what I mean? And like as much as as much yeah. as, you know, these boring kind of, well, they're gonna try and win the game now, aren't they? It is true. And and once you you're exactly mm. right. Once you have that shift, um, it becomes a lot easier. Your legs feel less tired, you feel like the you know the, the ball's with you. But yeah, no, you're right though, like that the intangibles and the kind of those things, the soft factors, as much as, you know, ball placement, ball progression, pass accuracy, the the mental side of things is so important and feeling as though you're on, in the ascendancy is so important because then you're going to mm-hmm. try those balls. You're going to try those, um, you're going to make risks or take risks that you wouldn't necessarily take. And when you're a team who yeah. are sometimes as structured and conservative as Arsenal, it's really important for us to have that. Um so yeah, no, we definitely man. went in. As, uh, uh, we went in. I think with something. It felt like we had a to do list in that second half that we just needed to get through, rather than a, a kind of a mountain of a task that felt you know unbelievably you know it felt like we'd broken that down and gone okay we we can yeah. get through this. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, um, yeah. Well, I mean, how were you feeling at half time? I, I think like you, I felt quite dejected when that third goal went in. I was, I, I, I don't know if I texted you at 3-0 or 2-0, but I was like, I just, I can't be asked to watch because everyone revert, every human being reverts to type. Of course I did. I, I soldiered on and I'm so lucky that I did because unbelievable comeback, right? But, but I think- did it, for the podcast, Brad. So nice. Yeah, I know, right? I, I keep going. Isn't for it you nice, guys. listeners, that Brad listen? Brad watches um, the game I... <laughs> for you? Isn't that kind? <laughs> but um, I think everyone is human beings reverts to type, and I am so used to Arsenal going three nil down, and we're more likely to lose five or six than we are to even get a goal. That part of me automatically switches and goes, "Do you know what? I can't even be asked because I know what's going to happen." 
But it was so refreshing to see, obviously, what we've talked about. But going in at 3-1, I felt a bit, I, I felt quite mellow. I felt like there was a lot to do and there was a few changes that needed to be made. And that if those changes were made, I I, I, I think we, I, I was a bit more like, okay, let's wait and see. Whatever we need to, I want to see what we're going to try and do in the second half rather than feeling like, I, I didn't feel particularly positive because coming back from 3-0 down, let alone 3-1 down is, is near an impossible task. Most game states, you know. We were, whilst we can say... We've only done it once before in the Premier League. Exactly. And whilst we can say that, you know, we've had luck go against us, we are very lucky that we had two own goals scored for us in this game. You know, the second one, Aubameyang's at the back post with the tap-in. So Craig Dawson, I think it's Dawson that did it, had to do something. So, but the first one, Lacazette shot's going wide and it deflects in. So whilst we can, we can, you know, I'm very, very happy about this. It's also we we're we've had a few lucky moments come for us, like uh, Mikel Antonio hitting the post with an open goal in front of him. So I I just felt that we were sixty percent of the way there, and that we were so close to being able to flip this on its head that we just needed to come out with something different. And I, I was I was screaming for. Um, for substitutes at half time. I can't believe it took till the let me just get the exact minute. I can't believe it took until the 74th minute to get a sub on the pitch. Like and again we've had this conversation about worries about how the substitutes are currently being handled. Uh and I I thought the kind of the change going to a 4-3-3 with um with kind of Smithrow and Erdegaard as kind of those eights and then party sitting deeper was was a good change. But, you know, after the first half that he'd had, I was so surprised when Aubameyang didn't come off, especially with Martinelli on the bench. And especially because we got almost perfect to type evidence of what Martinelli can do off the bench. Came on in the last game and got pretty much got a player sent off with his first run at, at someone. And though obviously it took a stupidly rash kick away of the ball for that player to get sent off, he still got a player carded. So I was I was very surprised when that happened. I think, you know, it paid dividends to a certain degree and we looked a lot more threatening going forward. I just wish we'd made all three changes at the same time because part of me thinks that and goes, maybe that extra energy for that what he came on eight or 10 minutes later, maybe that extra energy for that 10 minutes might just stretch out West Ham a bit further. And we might just get in behind once more and just grab that winner. And I don't know what it is at the moment with almost this reluctance to sub off certain players. You know, we, we do rarely see a Bamiyang come off and I can't, I, I, and I understand best player in our club, like highest paid, our captain, but it's it's like the conversation that we had on principles. Should be in Cedric. <laughs> uh, it's like the conversation that we had on principles. In that I don't give a fuck about your principles if you lose four nil. Like yeah, yeah. Like Steve Bruce has principles of football, but he's fucking shit. So yeah, it doesn't shit. matter oh what God, his principles Newcastle are. Bad Newcastle. Newcastle are, are, bad, are absolutely man. trash. Yeah. 
dog, mate. I watched him against Brighton. I could coach. I know nothing about football. I could coach them better, mate. Oh my god. Um, yes. Um, yeah. No. I would. In in terms of like where I was, like, I couldn't see why when we had the ball in the midfield and we were often going back. Xhaka was playing us back to Mari or to Tabard Luis or out on the wing to to whichever fullback it was. And because of that, and like, you know, that's not great, but an offshoot of that is actually a lot of teams sit in that low block and just wait for us to come back. West Ham were pushing up and there was space in behind. So I was thinking, yeah, I think you're right. Like, why weren't we moving for Martinelli or Pepe sooner? Because I think you saw when Pepe came on, like there was, it was a nuisance. He was a nuisance and he's, and I think he's annoying to play, you know, to play against because he, you just don't know where he's going to be. And you um, have to take yeah. that extra five yards back, which is a massive kind of affectation of your game. Yeah. Having to progress the ball five yards extra every time you're playing out, every time you're coming out of defence, isn't easy when you have lightning quick players like Bakayo Saka, Abamyang, or Martinelli or Pepe around you that at any moment could be on your ass. And you could lose the ball much higher up the pitch than you, you you would normally. So then it's almost about playing that offset. Do I give them the opportunity to run in behind and try and catch them on the as offside? Or do we sit five yards back? Which is why having a runner like that is is vital. And I, th- I think this game state as well, sorry to kind of cut you off and go off on another little tangent, shows why having a Bamiang as a pure left winger doesn't work because he needs, if he is going to take up those left channels, he needs somebody like Smithrow on that left or Pepe on that left or somebody on that left to kind of take up the spaces that he vacates and to create the opportunities for him. Whereas it just felt like we had a gaping hole on that side once he'd moved well, over I think from the right yeah. to the left. It just felt like there was something missing. I do think we have a structural issue when Aubameyang and Lacazette play because they both like to drift. Lacazette more vertically and Aubameyang more horizontally. And when they're both drifting at the same time, you lose a lot and the, and you can't pin the centre-backs and you can't have someone leading the line. You watch like Haaland for Dortmund. Now, I'm not comparing either of those players to Haaland. But the use of having someone who is just an absolute... I sound like I'm crying. I do... I'm, Erling Haaland, he's just such a good player. He did score two really good goals for Dortmund. Um, but you Man, know, I think he's he's going to be the best player in the world. So do I, because he just is an absolute, and, and I don't like comparing players in, in this way. If you have an Mbappe, who is a, a you know an elegant, creative player as well as a finisher, Haaland is just a finisher, and he will just finish every single like ball that, that gets given to him. And the point there I'm trying to make is having someone on the last on the on the shoulder of the last man or the or the, or the shoulder of the uh, centre backs just pins them. Just means they can't come up. Just means they can't play out from the back. Having someone there consistently who you know if you can get the ball to him, he will win that duel. There's a um I think he they play Cologne in a game yesterday. There's a ball from Emre Chan, which I, I'd love you to see. It just Emre Chan literally spanks it to Erling Haaland. He wins the ball in the air because he's so big shrugs off the defender spanks it in keeper should do better but the point I'm trying to make is like he's unreal. having having someone there who can do that and will always be there is such a benefit because the space in around him it creates because he's 
not only is he, he is he occupying a defender, he's keeping the defender there, so the defender can't move. Yeah, um, and it's so important. Yeah. Um, we need to sign a centrally based striker in the summer. That is 100%. so important for us. Hundred percent. Because you you see in our in our kind of structure and our build up play, having Lacazette, who like you say drifts more vertically rather than horizontally, does help us. It, it does having that person in that central space. Yeah, for sure. So. And obviously, we can all have our opinions on whether we think Lacazette's good enough, whatever. But if we had, a, like, not even a world-class, like, a very good centrally-based striker who can be dominant in the air, who is strong enough, but with some pace, mm-hmm. it would, re- because of the talent that we have around... Oh, the runners around. And the creativeness so that we have around. Yeah. It would be unbelievable for us. Yeah, big time, big time. So so important. Um, second half, uh, I felt uh, I felt Bradley like we were like a python. That's what I wrote down. We were just slowly, or was it a boa constrictor who just slowly sort of constricting them? We went further and further up the pitch, squeezing them, squeezing them, squeezing them. It was really really nice to see. Uh, we just weren't letting them go. There was like ten minutes where we just peppered them. We were winning every single second ball, every ball that got out, um, and even if they had the ball, they just spanked it up because they they. I think at one point Ben Rama under no pressure just spanks it back to us because they were hell-bent on defending that lead. Uh, and they nearly did. Uh, but there was a goal from uh, uh, Chambers. Chambers with another assist for the own goal. And I love it. He just leathers it. He just fucking leathers it into the box and hopes sees, just to see what happens. And we sort of need that. Like, I think Bellerin sometimes doesn't have the technical ability to... He has maybe the intelligence to pick out what sort of cross he needs, but not necessarily the technical footballing ability to pick that cross out. But Chambers, I think not to say he doesn't have is the opposite yeah well not no and, and not to not to sort of um what's the word insult him it's, it's not that at all it's just, they're just different types of players but what chambers has is an unbelievable delivery and while i don't see him picking out crosses as as well as as bellerin um he does just fucking hit that ball in and hard and low and it's the right areas and technically proficiently, and that's the difference. And it's so good, man. And it's it's so important for us. And that's why he was doing so well for us today. Um, and I think sometimes, you know, he's maybe viewed as that kind of, and I've talked about it before, as well as Arteta, you know, me and Mikel, um, as the sort of third auxiliary centre-back to allow Tierney to go forward. But he's going forward just as much. If you watch Tierney and Chambers, they're, they're watching each other up and down the pitch. They're trying to stay in line with each other. They're working together, man. It's, it's really nice to see. Um... Yeah, we were winning the duels and the mindset was lovely. I did notice a nice little tactical change from um, party to go on the left to stop Rice. That was important, I felt, um, breaking the lines consistently. He needs to stop taking pot shots, Thomas Party. Yeah. I feel like he's doing it now because he's missed so many, if that makes sense. Yeah, he's trying to prove he like, can do it. Yeah. And... Also, he has time on loads of them. He has loads of time. That's what annoys me. I'm like chill out there's one where the ball sort of rolls quite slowly to him and he takes his minute and then he just skies it over you've got to hit the target from there surely yeah it's just a waste it is just a waste of possession uh like you say like yeah like on the on the whole stopping rice thing uh, yeah i think it was it was a good decision and then and the decision to to kind of change the way that we were kind of sitting and building up was was great um it almost gave us the opportunity to have more creative options it was almost like 
there was a triangle between Emil Smithrow, Erdegaard, and Lacazette, and then you had Pepe, and then Aubameyang and Martinelli dropping in and out of these positions, and there was a there would be a triangle between ESR, Aubameyang, and and Laka, or a triangle between Laka, Erdegaard, and Pepe, and and working those angles. I think it really, again, like having, and I think that why why it was so important to get somebody who wasn't a Bamiyang on that left-hand side was because of that was because he is not the kind, he's not technically proficient enough to be playing this neat quick one touch touch round the corner kind of style of of football he is a low touch Jamie Vardy-esque player of um couple of step overs onto the strong foot low uh low near side or high far side kind of shot player and even though he kind of hampered that kind of connection a little bit having those connections just again like you say allowed us to push up and push up and push up because at the end of the day like a anything can happen in the box like a boa constrictor to go with your metaphor (laughs) but at the end of the day like you say about the chambers crosses Having the ball in the box, anything can happen. One little nick can send a ball in a very weird direction and just having us so far up the pitch, any of those little nicks or drops or moments can just land with the ball at, um, with the ball at our feet two yards from an open goal and then it's a tap-in or any of these things can happen in football and any of these things can happen. So it's so important to be taking those that space in that final third. And in the first 15 minutes, that's exactly what West Ham were doing. They had 33 passes in our final third in the first 15 minutes or so. And just we keeping had zero. the ball there. As rudimentary as it sounds, yeah. just and- keeping the ball there. And something will happen, mm-hmm. especially when you've got players, and I do want to highlight players like Martin Odegaard, who is... <sighs> Unbelievable. Three pre-assists today. He was the pre-assist for all three three moments. Four chances created, three shots, and 93% passing accuracy. Also, interestingly, he's already played more minutes in the league for Arsenal with 474 than he has in his entire Real Madrid career. And uh, Sensational. If Real Madrid are listening, um, he's awful. Uh, hate him. I hate his attitude. Um, I think he's. We terrible. would really hate to keep him. No technical um, ability. I, I guess we can. We could do you a favor. Like maybe we'll give you. Oh, tell you what, you can have Sabios back. Um, because we really want him. You can have Sabios back. Oh my god, he's so good. And you, we'll just keep Martin. That's fine. We'll do that. Maybe we'll sweeten the deal. Give you Dan Iliev. Do you know what I mean? Like sort of that sort of feels like a fair. You know, I'm sure. Yeah. Fair exchange. I'm sure they're all listening over at the Bernabeu. Um, <laughs> fucking hell. What a player, mate. What a player. Right half space. Controlling just sensational. it. He is just everything that we needed in that 10 Winning spot. that second ball every single time. Holding on to the ball in the final third. Touching on what you were just saying. Holding on to that ball and just being able to progress. Pick out him and Saka, that link up on that right hand side. Sometimes feels a little bit to quote Barry from down the pub, tippy tappy, but it, it works. It keeps the ball there. And this is yeah. ultimately to be rudimentary yeah. about it. And I keep using that word now. Um, it's the word of the day, but it's important to just keep it there and to have players who can keep that ball in the final third. 
him and Party that the amount of times he received the ball and could turn it on the half turn, find someone, having players who can keep the ball, it's so important. And, and uh, he plays a lovely reverse pass at one point for Chambers. Um, I think it might be for one of the chances or maybe even one of the goals. It might be the, the Lacazette goal, I don't even know. But um, just having someone of his technical quality, because let's be clear, the feints, the rollovers, the, the the ability to wriggle, like we're talking about a world-class technician on the ball. Like that that's what he is. Like as and at 22, the athletic side of the game, the physical side of the game, the brain side of the game, the leadership side of the game, they're all going to improve. I think it's Arsene Wenger who says, um, you learn, I think it's you learn your um oh God, forgive me it's something like you you can't not that you can't teach technique but the ideal time to be learning technique is from like 11 to about 16 or something like that it's like that's when you should be just working on on your touch and stuff and then the more physical side of the game comes from sort of you know 16 17 18 to you know your early 20s and and and, and beyond that's a massive bastardization and i'm sorry there's probably someone there who knows that much better than me but it's something like that he's got the technical side of the game down and he's only going to develop like, and it's having mm-hmm. someone who's that good at decision-making in the final third and he's only going to get better. Fuck me. We've got to keep him. We've got it's to keep It's a him. must that we keep him in the summer. You know, he is the marquee player that we need to keep. Um, I don't want, I want it on a permanent, like I, as much as you would accept another loan, another loan just gives another bigger club the opportunity to see him doing very well and then come and poach him. Because, for example, in the situation that we're currently in, um, if we got him on another loan, Bayern Munich, there's another year of legs into Thomas Muller's... A uh, year of legs? Another... <laughs> Leg of years? Another year into legs the 11. legs. <laughs> Fucking hell. Of Morning. Thomas Muller. And... Of course you would pick Bayern Munich over Arsenal. Uh, currently hey. the same hey <laughs> and there's there are probably a lot of clubs that might be in and around needing a creative star midfielder to fill that hole i can't really think of a lot off the top of my head but you just go it is better to just sign him to no, just pay the 40 50 million that they ask for him i think sometimes just clubs get it done yeah and i think sometimes clubs go do you know what we don't even it's like you know did Bayern need sane probably not but it's a great fucking deal god no do you know what I mean? Like, it's a great oh God, fucking yeah. deal. So just get him. 40-something 40, 40 million quid it, it cost Bayern to get Sane. It cost them less than it cost City to buy him. Yeah. And, from Schalke, and I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure they didn't even make their money back, which is fucking crazy. Yeah. So, you know, listen, it, I hope we're working on it. I'm sure we are. Um, and I think, the, you know, all I can say is we're giving him minutes. We're giving him leadership role in the team. I'm hoping, for example, the Europa League win would make it a lot easier for us to convince him. Uh, I don't know how we're going to do oh, the yeah. league. Um, just quick shout out to Pepe with a great assist for Lacazette uh, on his right foot. Unbelievable right foot. Oh, Yes. All right. Anything else on the game, his, it's, Brad? His right foot seems to be getting better, as in the use of. There's been a couple of moments now where we've said, ooh, ooh. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Maybe it comes from Mikel. I feel like we've mentioned this before. Yeah, maybe. We do talk quite, quite a lot about football, in fairness. We're like 58 yeah. episodes in at this point. Probably mentioned Nico, like Nico Pepe's right foot. It's a lot of episodes that, Brad. Once or twice? Yeah, we've done well. <laughs> we've done well, consistent. Um, 
I just put I'm so stressed in my notes at the end. I mean, that lasts sort of 15 minutes. It was like a game of FIFA and it was just end to end. Yeah. As in both teams wanted to win and it was just horrendous. Read up here. You didn't know both teams wanted like... to win. Neither team wanted to lose. They were defending. They were attacking. Uh, there was uh, football was played. It was a game of two halves. 45 minutes in each. Goals were scored. Goals were scored and goals were conceded. Um, but I suppose overall... Um, you know, and they team, hardly ever win when they don't score. And overall, one team uh, scored and the other team scored as well. And they scored the same amount. So they're going to have the same amount of points. Back to you. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else on the game, Brad? Nah, nothing from me, buddy. Alex, we'll see you after this. News and Welcome back to News and Views, where we give you all the news and all your views, but mostly ours. Just a quick reminder that you've... (sighs) Just a quick reminder. (laughs) Just a quick reminder that if you do enjoy these podcasts, you can support us on Patreon and buy me a coffee. Links are in the show description. Do you want a bit of different knock trivia, Brad? Yes. So I was looking at our analytics this week, which I rarely do. Uh, um, and we're obviously... <laughs> what the fuck was that little weird giggle for? <laughs> I, I look at it probably a bit more than I'd care to admit. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> uh, guess where we're... <laughs> I'm half a pint in, mate, and I'm such a lightweight, so this could be funny. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah, so um, I was looking at where we're big. Guess where we're... So obviously in the UK, you know, we're an Arsenal podcast and that's where Arsenal is. So we have the most amount of listeners. 42% of our listeners are in the UK. Guess where nearly 26% of our listeners are? I believe you texted me about this, Alex. I believe it's Belgium. Oh, fuck. It is Belgium. It's ruined my fucking story, that. It's Belgium. (laughs) So if you're listening in Belgium, thank you. Yeah, thanks so Um, much, guys. And we love you. Also, just anyone, anyway, if, you, if, if you're not listening to Belgium, thank you for listening. Yeah. We love that. Uh, and if you made it this far, you have a good attention span. So well done. Or you just haven't been bothered to turn it off. So that's fair enough. Um, okay, Brad, not much on news and views this week. Um, I do just want to highlight a little teeny video, which I will play for you now. You're right, wee boy, what you doing? I'm going to stick the crosses in the box and you better get your fucking head on that. <laughs> That was the video, yeah. That was the video. (laughs) (laughs) You're right, wee boy. We know what he wants to do and we're getting, well, we hope we're getting better every week on week and I hope the results show that. It wasn't going to be something that was just going to happen straight away because it's a process and the the manager is a genius, like a football genius and you can see we're all loving working under them. Me, me especially. I love it every day. I'm learning. So I don't know about you, but like I, I feel like I find some sort of solace in that. Also, in that Pep, you know, Pep the other week saying Arteta knows every. He goes, Mikel, he knows. I can't do it. <laughs> Mikel knows everything about the football. Trust me, I can't do it. I can't do it. Uh, Pep goes. Pep basically the other week said uh, that Mikel knows everything about football. Um, I don't know about you, but it just, it kind of calms me down a little bit. <laughs> Especially when like Lacazette comes out afterwards and goes like, it's because we didn't follow what the coach said. Because so for so long, it feels like we've been out-tacticked. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, yeah. and our 
technical ability's been there, our you know team selection's been there, but we've just been outplayed um, for whatever reason, or we've and you know at the moment our problem is beating ourselves. <laughs> and once we fix that leak, we're on the way to the top. But do you know what I mean? Like it's no, it's, and it's it's, it's 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 nice to hear. While Unai had his problems, I think that one thing that hasn't been kind of recognised enough by a lot of Arsenal fans is it is no surprise that when we started signing the Granite Xhaka's, the Squadron Mustafis, the Sayed Kalazanax, we went from finishing for, like in the Champions League spots for 22 years in a row to dropping out of them for the first time in 22 years. Like, as much as we can go, it's a cool win? Like, no. Like, there is no surprise that once the playing staff, the quality of the playing staff dropped, our performances dropped. And whilst, you know, Wenger definitely had his problems in his final years, Unai Emery, you know, was a was a litany of issues, like an absolute litany of shit. There is all there is one coincidence in every single tenure of those managers. You think the last few years of Wenger, you think the whole Unai Emery era, and you think the first 18 months of Arteta. And the one common denominator is the playing squad. And we have not seen enough rotational turnover in that playing squad. And we haven't ousted members of that playing squad quick enough. We're starting to do that now. And hopefully, hopefully moving forward, that will improve. But it is no surprise that Mikel Arteta is seeing the same issues as Unai Emery in Baku, where the players just absolutely let him down and were shit for 90 minutes and we got battered 4-1 or 4-2 against Chelsea. It is, there has to come a point where we all take a step back and realise that every single person who's been in charge of these players has had the same issue. It is no longer something to do with the people at the top in the, in as in the manager and all the, and the tactics and everything. It is to do with the people implementing them. There is a reason Mikel Arteta was linked to the Barcelona job. There is a reason that Pep Guardiola didn't want Mikel to leave City. And there is a reason that when he came in after Emery, we won silverware. Yeah, there's been a massive drop off in his tenure. And I think 20% of the problem was slash is Mikel Arteta in the fact that he's a new coach, he's growing, he's going to learn from his mistakes and he's going to progress. And we will just have to take the hit on that. But 80% of that is the playing staff. And it just reminds me of, again, to quote um, uh, Le Professeur, uh, when he made his comments about Rob Holding and he said that, I'm not going to quote it directly because I don't know, but when he said about the Do it in a French accent. Ed- Go on. The education of a young centre back will what? Do it in a French accent. A young centre back might uh, cost me uh, no, twenty. Don't do that. Don't do that. Yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> Pretty horrific. Um <laughs> But but you know that you know the comments that I'm talking about in when he when he spoke about do, yeah, um, yeah. how a young centre back might cost you five to ten points off of the course of a season. But educating that young centre back and having a world-class player in three, four, five years' time will save you those kind of like five to ten points. That is a massive bastardization of what the great man said. But I think the same is true of Arteta. He has cost us points this season by being 
so stuck to uh, a tactic and not changing soon enough. And then obviously once we changed from December, we've gone from being the 10th worst team in the league form wise to now from December to now something like fourth to sixth. We floated around there. It is. And that's going to happen. And that is going to be something that we have going forward. The big issue is we also have this 80% where we have people who are just brain dead. They're just not good enough. They are just not of the quality required. So until we get Uh, players uh, of the quality required, we will still have the mistakes on top of the few mistakes that Arteta will make. Like, I think it was a mistake he didn't bring on Martinelli early enough today. Yeah. But it's not his fault that his players in the first 15 minutes switched off and conceded two goals. Like, he can't do anything. And I also think, like, as much as he can say, he has said, essentially... A lot of you are going. <laughs> like, oh, as, yeah. as much as he can come out and say it, he's basically. It's, well, in the Spanish media, he has said it, but in English media, he's just gone. Yeah, to be honest, um, there will be some new players. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and um, fair and play because it's fair. it's so that's true. Fair. You know, Leno, Chambers, probably even though he had a good game today, there are there are so many players within this squad that shouldn't be near our first eleven. For sure, I just want to get a few forsooth. Forsooth, uh, I just friend. want to get an in. A few um, comments. Uh, Stephen says, awful start, too slow. Second into rest. Odegaard should be signed even if we had to sell the stadium and ground share with Boreham Wood. Chambers must be hanging out with the Brazilians. Overall, we saw out the mistakes will be so good. John says, I've got a stat for shot. I said, has anyone got the party stats for um, through balls or breaking the lines? He said, I've got his stats for shots on target all season and today's game, none. (laughs) Still think he's a good player though. Wish he could shoot. Good point. Uh, Savsavs says, uh, Alba's attitude and effort really irked me today. He's going full BVB mode, I feel. Needs dropping. Uh, <laughs> a man who has titled himself Cronky Out. It could be a girl. Cronky Out. He's called Cronky Out. I've done it again. They are called Cronky Out, Edu Out. And they've put Jacques Leno Louise out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I don't disagree. Maybe they just like. Maybe they just like the word out. Who knows? Uh, right, Bradley, then, to close out the show, as we always do with the Arsenal trivia. So do you... Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, hang on. We should talk about the Europa League draws. We haven't got much time, but we should talk about them. Um, Arsenal facing Slavia Prague. Um, how are you feeling about the draw? Uh, good draw. Um, I think that... Uh, I don't know whether I would have preferred United over two legs or over one. Because I, as in a, a final, if we get to it, because I just think that over any one game, we can shoot ourselves in the foot like we have so many times. Uh, I think it's a good draw. You know, it's 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 very flattering for us. It's very good for us in that, you know, though Slavia Prague performed well against Leicester, knocked them out and have just knocked out um, Rangers. You know, Leicester were in the midst of a massive injury crisis that they are starting to slowly recover from. And... Uh, Rangers maybe have a little bit of a hangover from celebrating too much from winning the league. I don't know. And then we were going to have to face Villarreal or uh, or uh, probably at some point just because of divine intervention and karma. Um, so facing yep. them, I think, will be an interesting test. And yeah, to be fair, the one club I don't want, I want, I want Villarreal to win. I want them to knock out Zagreb because I think, in my opinion we will be able to beat 
Villarreal much easier than Zagreb. I think that a lot of people underestimate them. Orsic tore Spurs to pieces. And while we can piss about and say, you know, oh, it's so Spursy, because it is. It's the history of the Tottenham. But, like, they fucking tore Spurs to shreds over 120 minutes. So getting them out of the competition would be great. And then coming up against Villarreal in the semis, if, you know, I hope we do get through to the semis, I think is as good as a draw as we were going to get. So, yep. Yeah, no, I'm really happy. I'm interested in a Unai Emery semi-final. I think that could, if it doesn't go tits up, which Arsenal always have the possibility to uh, bring us, uh, could be a nice one. So finally, to close out the show, uh, Arsenal trivia. Who is number 46 for Arsenal? Do you know, Brad? I've got no fucking clue, mate. I've mentioned him already this podcast. It's Dejan Ilyev. Number 46 for Arsenal. Oh, Dejan Ilyev, the Macedonian goalkeeper. The North North Macedonian keeper. There we are. Uh, Arsenal trivia for this week or this podcast is Arsenal went a record 49 consecutive top flight league games unbeaten from May 2003 to... Oh, fucking... I can't read. Arsenal went a record 49 consecutive top flight league games unbeaten from May 2003 to October 2004, breaking whose previous record of 42 set between November 1977 and November 1978. Which team was that? I'm not going to say that again because I can't read. Uh, listen, we're way over. Pleasure as always. Have we not got Alfie Doon's one word of the one word reaction this week? He's he's indisposed. He's off working for BT he's Sport. He's indisposed. Yeah. <laughs> He's indisposed this week. Uh, Pleasure as always. And I'll see you soon. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Peace. Thank you so much for listening to the Different Knock podcast. Please hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you're using. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon and buymeacoffee.com. Find us on Twitter at DiffKnock and visit our website, thedifferentknock.com. Thanks. Podcast Network.